0: You are listening to Hoisting the Sail, a supply chain podcast. From our studio at the Brooklyn Navy Yard overlooking New York Harbor, we talk to the innovators and professionals who use the wind to power the maritime supply chain. I'm your host, Kat Bride. Hoisting the Sail is presented by Wind Support NYC. We are over the moon to present our first guest on our inaugural podcast, Mr. Andrew Wilner, the executive director of the Center for Post-Carbon Logistics based in New York's Hudson Valley. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, it's my pleasure.
0: Andrew, you are an author, an educator, a winner of the Hero of the Harbor from New York's Waterfront Alliance, and an environmental consultant to many companies. In addition, you are known as one of the leaders promoting renewable energy in the global maritime supply chain. Where does your interest come from? How and when did you start getting involved?
1: My uncle taught me how to sail as a teenager. I was a big kid, so he put me in his um, his little racing sloop and I, I would um, be ballast for the most part. And then I worked my way up through the hawse pipe, as they say, and it became um, eventually a, a master of sailing vessels up to a hundred tons. Um, I also did a lot of work as um, an environmental advocate and I saw the catastrophic impacts of climate change. And I spent some time as a boat builder. So I tried to figure out how I could put those two things together. And I learned in the 1980s about an organization that was, um, you know, in those days, they put out newsletters, we didn't have the internet. And it was called SAILA, S-A-I-L-A. And it was an advocacy organization for sale freight. And they were really concentrating on the idea that the the oil shortages and the beginning of the environmental problems as a result of shipping oil around the world were just coming to the fore. And so they were working mostly with Japanese designers coming up with auxiliary sail for uh, break bulk ships and some tankers. And then, of course, when um, petroleum prices went down, then those efforts sort of went by the wayside. Later on, as I got more and more involved in this, I found that I was interested in writing about this idea as well, and did a lot of research and wrote some early blog posts about uh, sail freight, which led me to meet Eric Endres, who was a farmer in Vermont who built a sailing barge, and he called it the Vermont Sail Freight Project. I gave up everything I was working on and and went to work to help him make that project a success, and we did um, three voyages from uh, Lake Champlain through the canal and down to New York City on the Hudson River. Motor selling sometimes but selling most of the time, and we delivered cargoes to various ports. And in terms of its visibility, it was a huge success. People in newspapers and and on the internet all around the world learned, learned about this effort of delivering freight by sale on the Hudson River. And then A couple of years later, I met Sam Merritt, who is a captain of and a partner in the schooner Apollonia. And my wife and I became both investors in and and worked hard alongside Sam to get that project up and running, which it is now. And we're planning on another season uh, for the coming summer.
0: We recognize that maritime shipping pollutes. I recently read that shipping emits as much CO2 as New York and Texas combined. Can you define what pollution there is and its impact?
1: Well, if ocean shipping were a country, it'd be the sixth largest discharger of carbon to the atmosphere. And that's a significant. That's larger than Germany. And so something has to be done. It's not just the carbon pollution. It's also the particulates that come from burning um, fuels that are that are not refined and so the 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 particulates particularly ships that are transiting high latitudes um, will land on the ice and make the ice um, attract sunlight more and will and will increase melting so the, the pollution from shipping is a huge problem and it has to be dealt with the same way that we're dealing with carbon pollution from other sources and the the IMO and other international organizations are just now beginning to start to think about regulations on ocean shipping.
0: Paint us a picture of what global shipping looks like today and some of the problems the industry is facing.
1: Well, it's becoming more and more obvious that particularly the very large container ships are dinosaurs. They're mostly going Half their their the potential speed, they're really being warehouses on the water for the most part. Um, there's so much overcapacity in the market that some ships ship holding companies are actually going out of business, and and some ships are being built to extraordinary lengths. I mean that when we saw the post Panamax ships being built and the whole canal system and all the ports, at least on the east coast of the United States, were, were trying to secure the one or two vessels that might call a year um, on the port. I knew that the it was really the end of an era. These ships are, are big and they, um, they need an enormous amount of cargo to make a, a trip uh, successfully fi- financially. And a lot of them are going back empty, with empty containers or with containers full of scrap metal. That's how little cargo is being returned to places from the consuming nations.
0: There's so much waste.
1: Yeah. I think the most extraordinary example I've ever heard of is that Norwegian fishermen are catching fish, freezing them, putting them on a plane, where they are sent to China to be processed and sent back as frozen fillets to be consumed in Norway. I think that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of when it's perfectly, when there's, you know, when you can see that there is a local solution to that. So free, almost free fuel is what's causing this problem. So that eventually, as fuel becomes short, there is a shortage of, of petroleum and or regulations on the burning of carbon are, start to have teeth, we'll see some different ways of dealing with products that are being shipped back and forth.
0: Are these ships run on fossil fuels only? What are the alternatives? Are renewable energies a working option?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we there really are no choices. are you know, everything is moved by petroleum. There's just, I mean, there might be a few experimental solar electric ships. There might be a few other hydrogen powered vessels that are in the prototype stage. But for the most part, it's, it's bunker fuel and diesel fuel that's powering the international fleet.
0: So currently, ships only use fossil fuels. However, there are plans to introduce renewables. Tell us more.
1: I mean, the obvious renewable is those things which can be produced on board, and wind is the obvious one. You don't need an engine to move a ship if you have sails on it. But there's also a a very big uh, opportunity to take advantage of solar, electric, and battery power on ships one of the projects in which i was involved is i worked with and i am an advocate for the hudson river maritime Museum's solar electric coast guard inspected passenger vessel solaris it was built at the museum it's a it's independent of the shore it is uh they're using lead acid batteries because they're inexpensive and heavy so that they offset the weight of the solar panels on the top And it's been operating successfully for three years. And it's become a prototype. The second solar electric vessel is being built for the Niagara falls in Canada, excursion vessels, and that will plug in at night. And a lot of the ferries, particularly in Scandinavia are being converted to electric power. And they are also, they have shore power that they connect to, to recharge the batteries for the next trip. And hydrogen can be made from salt water, while underway. So it may be that there's a combination of biodiesel auxiliaries on sailing vessels, solar electric and, you know, motors and storage on sailing vessels, or sailing vessels with hydrogen with the ability to convert hydrogen to fuel from maneuvering within ports.
0: It's encouraging that all these alternative energies exist and can be used to power cargo ships. The International Maritime Organization has a goal of reducing shipping emissions by 50% by 2050. How do you see it moving in this time frame?
1: Yeah, I I am not optimistic that there will be a worldwide shift in anytime soon to put controls on Know, carbon discharge from shipping, because it, because it's not happening in other sectors either. I mean, most of the freight in the New York City area, for example, goes, by, I think 80% of freight is moved by truck. Uh, it's the most polluting way to move freight that, that exists, even worse than shipping. So the the answer is, it's like enough people putting solar panels on their homes, or subscribing to third-party electrical providers that that get their electricity from alternative sources, hydro, small hydro and and wind and solar, that big utilities eventually will have to conform or go out of business because all their customers are using alternative sources, either through their infrastructure or on their own homes. And I think that's the same way that this grassroots idea of, of self freight is percolating up through to larger industrial users, um, I think the most uh, obvious one is this new ship uh, built by Neoline that's uh, affiliated with both Renault and with Michelin. And so, those are examples. There's, you know, it, but it's being pushed from the bottom up, and that's the only way that we have a revolution.
0: A revolution. This is a strong statement, and sounds like you have a personal stake in it. What's your motivation behind the revolution, and who can lead it?
1: I think it's an evolution. I, you know, I, I'm convinced that it's going to take a while, but it's also going to take visionaries. There are going to have to be people who are who are invested in the revolution in order to make the change, and that means the same way that people become involved in, in any effort that makes the world a better place. Uh, One of the reasons I do this work is because I have grandchildren. And in a conversation I had with my son-in-law, who's a a wonderful father and a good friend, was that those children, our seven and four-year-old grandchildren, uh, with given a normal lifespan, are gonna live to the 22nd century. And I think it's my job as a grandfather, it's his job as a parent to do everything we can to make the landing that they're going to face softer because every prognosis we hear about what it's going to be like at um, mid-century is disastrous and catastrophic. So the work that I'm doing, the work that people who are involved in sail freight and alternative energy and wind power and solar electric power and even things like eliminating trucks from downtowns small things that that people are doing add up to a very big movement and i think that that's how most revolution starts i think that's how this one will will both be started which it's been already and will eventually become the carbon powered vessels will become just a memory People will laugh at the fact that we once moved things from place to place using using petroleum.
0: Talking about renewables today, do you think they can provide shipping companies with the speed they require to deliver?
1: I think that the the speed is not really the issue. It's what they're carrying mm. is the issue. Because you not only need real speed if you're shipping frozen or fresh things. Right? I mean that's the that's what for example, when the when the, the P ships, the German P boats, Peking and Preuissen and, and those ships delivered a cargo from Chile to Germany, it might take months for them to get there. Sure. But they but the order was for that shipload. It didn't really matter when it arrived. And I think we have to go back to a different way of thinking about shipping is that there are certain things that we should be growing, building, and consuming locally and other things that can only be imported. And it doesn't matter how fast they get here because they're non-perishable. Their use is not immediate. And I think that we have to go back to a much slower way of looking at technology and this has to do with almost everything about the way we live, not just in shipping. You know, the, the whole concept of low or slow tech is that it's like the slow food movement. It's like the slow money movement. We, are, we have to get out of the idea that everything has to be instant gratification. And I think that that's the most important, more important thing to look at than how long it takes for something to get from one place to another.
0: Technology has always been a part of the equation. 150 years ago, it was clipper ships that used the top-of-the-line technology. My Irish grandmother told me how exciting it was when the Cuddy Sark broke records returning from the East. Newspapers sent reporters to greet the ship on arrival. Wind propulsion has been abandoned since. Have we lost that technology?
1: Well, there's two ways of answering that. One is that we have to go back and preserve that technology. We have to understand how those ships were the, were the high technology of the day. They, they did everything possible to get the most effort out of the least amount of wind and the greatest speed. The way the hulls were designed, the way the sails were designed, the way they were crewed, and now, with 21st century technology, we can, both, we can do it all. We have, we have a variety of different kinds of sails. We have combinations of sail, electric, hybrids, um, and we have methods by which ships can be really pretty fast. I mean, there, we're not so terribly far from a time when a very large ship powered only by the wind, will get will have a hole shape that allows it to get up out of the water on hydrofoils and be uh, faster than any um, petroleum-powered ship that we know today. So we're really on the cusp. We're right there at the end of preserving those skills of the past to serve the future and taking full advantage of the technology that's developed been developed since the 40s in both sail technology and ship form technology. And it's an exciting time. And it's a, it's a matter of whether or not these proof-of-concept vessels that are sailing now, and especially those innovative companies that are willing to build new ships that are using Sail Assist, that was sort of ironic. It turns out that the Neo Line ship's first cargo will be Renault automobiles from France to Canada. So it's a roll on roll off ship and it's been built specifically to do that work. And it is a sail powered vessel.
0: We've reached the end of our show today. I want to thank Andrew Wilner so very much for joining us. It has been a pleasure to speak with you. Your knowledge is vast and uh, I hope we get to talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you.
1: You're welcome and thank you for having me.
0: Next week, we'll talk to Simon Vatan the recently named president of VPLP, the design firm behind the Oracle Yacht, winner of the 2010 America's Cup. We'll explore the new technologies powering modern cargo sailboats. See you then. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not already subscribed, please sign up to Hoisting the Sail wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit Wind Support NYC on LinkedIn. Write to us, at podcast at windsupport.nyc.